Hello, my name is Joe Hogan. Many of you know me as Epic Grays in various video games and on social media. Welcome to episode 231 of Geektitude, a geek culture podcast that celebrates the inner geek in all of us. That only took me what, three tries, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, man? I'm doing better than you. <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm excited about what we're going to talk about today. You know, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pumped. We, we watched X-Men last night. It was the first time I had watched it in a while. And knowing that I was watching it and I was going to be geeking out about the original X-Men movie from 2000 with you, something that for some reason we'd never done, at least not no, in podcast. No, we really haven't. No. Well, I don't even know that we've done it. In person, like no. we've always talked about, like comic books and whatever's like most recent, but we didn't know right. each other when this came out, so right, you know, it was just never relevant. I started um, substitute teaching, I believe, in two thousand six, maybe two thousand seven, around there. So that was the year that X Men: The Last Stand came out. Right. Uh, so you and I bonded over the comic books, but we probably didn't start talking about the movies till much later. As a matter of fact, I'm looking at the timeline now. X-Men The Last Stand came out in 2006, and then X-Men Origins Wolverine came out. So we really had no reason to talk about these movies. No, we really didn't. <laughs> for quite a while, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited. I do have a little bit of Weekly Geek Theory to talk about, but uh, why don't you tell me what's going on with you? Um. Just, just school. <laughs> it is a slog right now, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's just here. Here is here is kind of a a perfect analogy for my school life right now. I walked in with my two, I'd say, best friends at the school right now. Um, the one of the math teachers and one of the uh, or and the the choir director, and so we're walking in and. I've been getting like a 12 pack of Coke, like maybe once a week or so that I have throughout the day for my caffeine fixes. Mm. And I was also had stocked up on my, I had my, my breakfast sandwich from Starbucks and my coffee and I'm good to go I'm walking in. And I don't know if I got attacked by a mutant or a ghost or what the hell happened, but all the cans fell out. Of oh. twelve pack of Diet Coke, one of them spraying all over us. Oh, and at simultaneously, my breakfast sandwich exploded from the bag. Oh, and flew across the sidewalk. What? And, yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea why. So, of course, these two wonderful people, who I'm also going to thank in the shoutouts, um, are are helping me pick everything up. They're you know wiping off the Diet Coke from themselves. Oh, and. I pick up the sandwich, which is now just unedible because it's, again, sprayed across the pavement. And I put the sandwich back in the bag so I can throw it away. And it falls right through the bag. Like, <laughs> it was the perfect analogy <laughs> to oh. what our lives are in school right now. That sounds like one of those slapstick, like over-the-top slapstick scenes in the beginning of a movie to kind of, you know... Like, give some exposition about the character's struggles, and you go, oh, that's terrible, but that would never happen in real life. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, I seriously, like, I understand that sometimes the, the you know, the cases for the 12 packs will will open up and, and spill, but, like, I have never had that many things go wrong in that <laughs> short of amount of time, and it was just kind of like, 
<laughs> I just looked it up and they're like, it's Friday. It's Friday. You can do this. Right. Right. Um, so that's, that's been, that's been where I'm at. I like, I'm, I'm just trying to get through the day, but when I come home, I've, I've, I've really kind of tried to structure my life right now where, you know, I'm, I'm, we've cut back on geekitudes. We've cut back on, um, as the dice rolls. So I'm not spending every waking moment editing. So that's Mm -hmm. nice. Mm -hmm. What I am spending a lot of time doing with Matt is we are watching a lot of hockey. Oh, cool. I, I even said, I don't think you'd seen it because I don't think you've been on Slack for a while, but I said, I'm going to have to go to Ray one of these days and say, you're going to have to teach me how to sports ball because I'm starting <laughs> to do it and I know I'm doing it completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. You said hockey and I was like, Hawkeye, that series is over. What are you watching? <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, hockey. Got it. Sports. Cool. <laughs> That's great. I'd love to. I love a good hockey game. Yeah, no. So we're we're voting, we're rooting for the um, the Seattle Kraken because right. we're getting their AHL team, the Firebirds, down right. here. And I got to say, the the outreach out here has been pretty good. I'm really hoping to see like some high school hockey teams start up because I think this would be a really good place for it. I think wow. there's a lot of yeah, there's there's a little need for I think different sports out here than we're used to. Yeah. That's awesome. So is the is the season in full swing right now? Is are is playoffs about to start? What's where are you? Oh no, we we just kind of hit about the halfway point. It's weird because it. a lot of the games are a lot of the teams are off kilter as far as the number of games they've played because so many of them had covert COVID lockouts right. where they had right. to like reschedule the games. Yeah. But for the most part we're about halfway through the season and we are not going to the playoffs. (laughs) There is no way. Um, So we're just kind of, we're kind of getting to know, I'm, I'm trying to get to know the team, get to know the intricacies of how it all works. Um, I've never been a stats guy, Mm. so I'm, I'm not quite jumping into that area of it yet, but like I now go, Oh, okay. You know, Everly's not playing real well now. This this game, I can tell because. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. you know, it's gratifying for somebody like me who doesn't do a lot of sports to hear a commentator go, "Okay, Everly's not doing too well today." <laughs> well, yeah. Okay, I'm recognizing things that I should be recognizing <laughs> as a fan. Listen, I've been watching sports almost my entire life, and I have never been a stats person. That's not, that's just not the numbers are not what interests me about sports, and I totally understand why. You know, um, stats and uh, uh, oh god, what's the word I'm thinking of? Um, there's a term for it that makes that is very uh, sort of describes the approach nowadays with um, how the the games, the various you know leagues and and sports are approached, and how they look at the numbers to justify. Uh, the way teams play as opposed to in the past where it was more about based on like athleticism and ability and that sort of thing. Um, analytics is what it's called. And yeah, uh, yeah. I'm just, I, I'm sure, you know, it's, it, it works for a reason, but as far as like me and my fandom, when it comes to sports, that's not at all why I'm watching sports. No, like no. I want to see these like incredibly gifted athletes, um, you know, do amazing things that I would never be able to do. I want to watch people that are super passionate, that are basically living out their dreams, right. To, to mm-hmm, play, mm-hmm. play whatever game they're playing, you know, um, as a job, like as a career. 
Um, and then of course the storylines that develop. And I think that's something that's, that's surprised Rosie as well as she's, you know, inevitably going to be exposed to sports because she, we live together now <laughs> and, <clears throat> uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm a sports fan. So at first it's really just a bunch of people trying to move a ball around, you know, <laughs> very, very right, 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 right. puck. But as you get to know the teams and the individual players, which can be a challenge sometimes, it does take some time, you realize, oh, this person used to play for this team or 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 in, in college, these two were on the same team and now they're on rival teams or this person got traded to this team and the owner doesn't like that. And, and you start to develop like all these storylines and that's really for me what like fuels the drama around the games themselves. Yeah, yeah, it's really it's just very fascinating for me because I've never really followed it this uh, this closely. Like no sport, even I mean I used to root for USC football when I was a, a student there, but that's about that's about it, you know. Mm-hmm. And then all sorts of weird, awful things happen with that team. I'm like, nope, no, thank mm-hmm. you. Um, but. It's a, like for me, I think this is a much manage, more manageable sport for me to get into. There are a lot shorter games. Yep. The teams are a lot smaller. Um, and because it's a brand new team, there's not a lot of hit. There's the, the, the players have history, but you can learn the player's history, but the team doesn't have history. Right. So it, it helps to be getting on in on the ground floor of it. Right. And. And you're right. Like I know the other day they played um, the Penguins, and I think McCann is a former Penguin, and so he was like, you know, they were hitting him a little harder. He was hitting them a little harder. Yeah. Like you, you just notice these things, and you're like, oh, okay. Um, yeah. Know, if you've and- been traded from a team, and then you're playing that team, you really want to beat that team, and, right? And your teammates want want to beat that team for you as well so it does add a, a you know more drama to the to the game and i and i think one of the <laughs> we didn't watch the game but this is like again this is something that i have never done before but i have the nhl app on my phone and i have it set to tell me when the kraken's playing and i can't watch like what the score is mm-hmm. so we're at my in-laws house watching tv and both matt and i have the app and that's the other thing this is like <laughs> i both of us came to the relationship with very solid hobbies like things that we really <laughs> liked and the other really had no interest in but this is kind of like a shared hobby that we we're both getting into and so um we weren't watching it but the kraken were playing the panthers and the panthers was like the number one number two team is that i think they're the number one right now and so we watch and you know the the our watches buzz and we look down and then we look at each other and it's like oh we we just scored on the Panthers and so we're following just the 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 scoring announcements on the phone and we ended up winning that game like 5-3 and and it's funny because I've just I've never like like you always see the the stereotype of the guy like listening to the the game during the wedding or whatever mm. <laughs> it's like it's like oh my god we're becoming those sports fans <laughs> that's great that is totally like a typical sports fan thing which you just described so it would be odd for me to even see that so he see you check the score on your phone i'm like what joe what right <laughs> right like here? this is just not this is just not me but i mean it's it's fun it's cool to like we've got um you know, we've got both Firebird and Kraken 
uh, t-shirts and stuff that we've been wearing. We're like, mm-hmm. like we're, we're, and, um, I even was listening to, um, to hockey on the, on my car radio and, and Matt gets in the car and he's like, are you listening to hockey on the drive to work? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, you're really obsessed. And I'm like, dude, I'm a geek. Like, this is what we do. We find something we like and we like yep. invest everything in it. Yep. And then, you know, if it sticks, it sticks. If it doesn't, it was a fun ride. Yeah. And, and for someone who loves stories and storytelling and why we gravitate to comic books and to movies and stuff, uh, you know, the, the you will find that in sports. I think that surprises non-sports fans that the stories are there. It's just, you know, the game plays out and then the stories are sort of covered leading up to the games or analyzing the games. And, you know, in between the games, all of the talking heads, all of the, you know, shows, podcasts, all of that stuff sort of breaks down and talks and dives into all the storylines so that in a way it's like, it's like priming you for the games themselves. And you can, you can dive into that as much or as little as you want. Um, But that, that is definitely a component. And I think um, for me, it's always been, you know, how much of the uh, cringy misogyny (laughs) and, uh, you know, sort of patriotism am I willing to put up with <laughs> to mm-hmm. to enjoy the games that I want to watch. You know what I mean? Because right. there's, at least for football, um, maybe less so for basketball, which basketball is, you know, probably the sport that I enjoy the most these days. But the NBA is great. But, oof, I mean, I've just started to sort of watch a little more football recently for a while. I just... I could not. There was just so much like <laughs> like pro militarism and like patriotism and like really like the the commercials are gross and like reductive and cliche and you know what I mean beer commercials and that all of all of the culture surrounding the thing it's like god can I just can I just cut all of that out? Can I just do like an all the cart situation where I just want to watch the games? <laughs> I just want to watch the game. Yeah. Don't want I don't... To deal with all the, all the, all the toxic masculinity. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, thankfully now with like streaming services or whatnot, you can absolutely do that. Like I don't, I don't really, I limit my exposure so much to all the rest of that stuff that I just don't want to deal with. So I can just focus on the games. It's pretty great. Right. Yeah. No. And, and I, I'm, I'm hoping because again the the Firebirds are really reaching out to the the gay community out here in the valley and um, like the the Kraken released this video of like four of their main guys sitting around talking about like men and mental health mm. and you know that they don't talk about it and everything and I'm like I hope that they keep doing this and this isn't just for show like I hope mm-hmm. this is something that they kind of lean into and mm-hmm. and try and. You know, I've seen some things that seem to try and break down some of the stereotypes that uh, that come with the sport. Although yeah. I, th- I, I think I've picked a sport that has a long way to go. <laughs> they all do, Joe. They all do. <laughs> well, that's great. That's awesome. Yeah, the, the NFL playoffs are in full swing now. So I've been watching those games and Rosie's, it's so funny how she gets sucked in and Wants to know, you know, starts asking questions, and I, uh oh, here we go with another, <laughs> another geekdom, you know. Uh, that's really great. Yeah, I'd love to come over and watch some hockey with you and Matt. That would be so much fun. Yeah, uh, yeah, we should do it. Like, I'm gonna have a lot of questions. I'm gonna have a lot of questions about offsides and icing. Just so you know, 
honestly, those are the two easiest things to to to, to learn about. Like icing is just they threw the puck across all zones because they wanted to get it out of their area, but that's they get they get a penalty for it because otherwise that's what they would, they would always do. So then it just starts back in their zone. And then um, offsides is the puck has to go across the blue line before the player does. See, that makes sense to me. But the game is so fast that when somebody, so fast they're they're running around or not running around, they're skating around making plays or trying to make plays. And then all of a sudden the whistle goes off and everything's dead. And I'm like, wait, what happened? And that's when usually it's like offsides are icing. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even see that. Like I wasn't even mm-hmm. aware that, you know what I mean? That that was happening in that moment. So that's well, really what it is. What I've learned is, and this makes a lot of sense now, is that there are actually uh, positions called line refs, and literally their only job is <laughs> to make sure that they call if there's offsides. There's one on each blue line, and they are actually not allowed to call any other. Um, we just learned this like two days ago. They're not allowed to learn to call any other penalties except. Um, when they can call if too many men are on thighs, like if their changeups don't yeah. go fast enough, they yeah. can call that. And it was like, oh, okay, but that's their job. I'm like, oh god, what a boring job that's got to be. I mean, if the game moves so fast, though, you need to like dedicate people just to do that, or else can you imagine being a ref and trying to keep track of that and everything else going on? There's no way. God, no, I like that's got to be the worst. <laughs> that's the worst sport to ref because it's so fast, and they are careening into those refs constantly. Like you see these refs constantly leaping up onto the boards because they're just like, oh god, <laughs> as four six foot five men comes careening at them on ice skates. Cool. Have, have have you made it to a pro hockey game yet in person? I have not. I mean, part of it is we, we, we were going to go to Vancouver over the holidays, and I was very close to saying, hey, Matt, they're playing the first night that we're there. They're yeah. the cracking are playing at Vancouver. Um, but not only did that game get canceled, but we didn't end up going because of it was going to cost us $600 just in COVID testing alone uh, to get in and out of the country. <laughs> welcome to sports fandom. People will yeah. pay that. <laughs> Uh, we will not. <laughs> yeah. But it, you know, we've we've been to Seattle once. It's actually how where we left on our um, honeymoon. We, we our cruise left out of Seattle, so we did a couple days in Seattle, and we really enjoyed it. And Matt's been up there since and said it's really grown since even we've been there. Oh, cool. And so we're we will probably go up and and watch a game up there at some point. Awesome. But we're waiting for 2022 when the stadium opens out here and we've got season tickets to the fireworks. That's great. Y'all are going to yeah. have so much fun. I'm so excited. Um. Wow. Well, okay. Yeah. How about that's, you? that's some pretty good weekly geekery there. Yeah. Um. I've, well, you know, we ended up doing this thing uh, last night in, in anticipation of putting on X-Men where, I was torn on how much backstory or history of X-Men comics I wanted to make Rosie aware of going into the movie. You know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it was either going to be, we're just going in completely cold. I'm going to put on this X-Men movie and see what you think and how you bounce off it or whatnot. Or, Hey, so (laughs) X-Men comics are quite a bit different than, Avengers comics, you know, and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and maybe you should know that going in. And so that's kind of the approach I decided to take because she has, you know, this, this whole experience already surrounding uh, the Avengers. And I guess you could say the role that those heroes play in the MCU. 
mm-hmm. and how and why the X-Men as characters are very different. And what, you know, not only what they're about, but how they're treated is very different. Mm -hmm. So I thought, you know what, I think it would be important for her to understand this going in. Uh, And and especially because we're inevitably going to get a new take on these characters. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to reference this as like, look, this is a take. We are we are watching this version of these characters, but first, let me introduce you to who these characters are and what they're about. Mm-hmm. So I put I we we talked a little bit about the comics, about the history, about Stan Lee, and about you know the first run of the original team, and we talked about um the the relaunch with the all new X Men team, the giant size X Men, and and how the team was different, and and you know the original team being Krakoa and that sort of thing. Um, and then I thought, you know what, why don't I just put on Chris Claremont's X-Men documentary? Okay. I'd only seen it once and, uh, I'm like, I want to watch it again. And then uh, already Rosie was like, I think I'm going to like these characters. Yeah. (laughs) She's like, wait, they're the underdog. They're the outcast. I I think, Mm -hmm. yeah. She's like, I think I, I think I love the X-Men. Um, <laughs> so we watched the documentary, which is awesome. It's a great documentary. I love it. And it's really just Claremont and, you know, some of his old editors, Louis Simonson and, and, and Ascenti just sitting around talking about the good old days and how they came up with stories and what it was like to work in the Marvel offices and deal with the, you know, the editors in chief, like Bob Layton at the time. And, and it's just so much fun if you're there's gonna... so much drama <clears throat> yes. oh my god there's so much drama <laughs> yes there is yeah it makes sense why the the book was as dramatic as it was <laughs> um so yeah so we watched that uh which was pretty great and i was careful to you know avoid spoilers if possible but they don't really go into any spoilers of what we're about to watch in the movies um and then um I was going to cook dinner. I was going to make some food. So we wanted to put something on while I was cooking and, and, you know, before we put on the X-Men movie and I remembered, Oh, we have a new episode of Peacemaker to watch. Um, which is, it surprises me every week. It's like, Oh, the new episode dropped. Like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not expecting it to be happen that quickly, you know? Right. Right. Uh, I haven't seen the next one. So no spoilers, please. No spoilers, (laughs) but, uh, we've been really enjoying, uh, that show. Excellent. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, um, a worthwhile watch for us where, um, uh, we, what, what are the, the episodes are what, like 45 minutes, less than an hour. Yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the episode, it's like, Oh man, what, where is this going? Like what is uh-huh. happening next? And, um, I think peacemaker gets less cringe has gotten less cringe for us as a character. Um, definitely his father. Ooh, like, (laughs) yeah, when he's on screen, I'm just like, get him out. Like, I don't even, and I know obviously because, you know, they, they kind of explained who he is, you know, and everything in the story, it's going to build to something, but, uh, it just sometimes in trying to portray, and we, we talked about this a little bit, but in trying to portray a character and be like, look at how terrible this character is you're supposed to hate this character, but you know, if you're a good writer and, and you're a good actor and, and you got a good story going on, even those characters, you, you can't, you know, th- they're going to be sort of popularized. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. 
And so you just, it's, it's just a, it's a function of a good story. So, um, I resent that <laughs> about yeah. this character. Yeah. I'm just like, I get it. Like, you know, we're casting the, the, the Nazi, we're casting the, the KKK person as the bad person. That's great. Let's, when can we get to the stories where they're not even on the table? Like, let's find another villain. You know what I mean? Like those, <laughs> those villains are too present and too successful still in our current reality. So how about let's not even, you know, introduce them as the villain. Let's just not introduce them at all. But at the same time, isn't it kind of a good thing that they are being like called out as villains and not, especially, especially in the climate that we're in. Like, I don't know if there's any better bad guy to have somebody like peacemaker have to deal with because it's the idea of challenging the American patriotism and the dark side of that. I guess I I just don't feel that that's really accomplishing anything, Joe. Okay. What, what is the benefit of calling them out? I don't know. They're winning. (laughs) They're not going away by being called out. That's not limiting what what they're able to accomplish so so really as a non-white person i just have to even in my even in my recreational stories there's white supremacists like yeah no that's fair (laughs) i i I definitely see how you i like i definitely see how that how that comes off um yeah i mean i just i feel like you know better be calling them out and pointing them out and acknowledging that they're there and they're bad than than what I feel like we've done for so long, which is pretend that they're not there and just let them kind of grow in power. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like awareness only gets you so far, you know, okay. You're bringing awareness. So then what? Like, and that's the thing in activist circles, you know, where it's like, stop doing it for awareness. Like we need more than aware. Like everyone is aware, you know, like everyone that is going to agree that Nazis are bad. Like they're, or people who don't agree with that are not going to be won over by peacemaker. So, you know, it's like there's a there's a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like like an echo chamber happening where it's like, yeah, yeah, I get everyone that. tuning into this already thinks that we're not really changing any minds here. You know, it's just for the people that have to deal with this in their real life. They, you know, here's a reminder. Like, so that's kind of how I feel about that character. And that's probably what's hard about. The only really hard thing about watching this show so far, everything mm-hmm. else has paid off. The team is great. Uh, I won't talk any spoilers, but um, I'm ready to talk about it when you are, Joe. I'm ready. All right. I will try <laughs> and have it ready for our next episode. <laughs> cool. Because, yeah, next episode, the next time we record this podcast, it's going to be almost the end of the series. There's three episodes yeah. left. So, yeah. Uh, maybe we can, we'll, we'll be able to cover next podcast. We'll be able to cover the last three episodes or something of Peacemaker as the, as the intro uh, to X2, which I'm super excited about, but yeah. yeah I'm so really looking forward to that. Yeah. Oh my God. Me too. <laughs> so much <laughs> like X-Men is cool. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's, you know, it did its job, but I, Oh, as soon as the credits rolled, I was like, I can't wait to watch X2. <laughs> but uh why don't we dive into this x-men uh because i have a list of things i want to cover with you all right so let's take our quick break and then we'll come back and we'll talk x-men the 2000 version that's oh my god it's been over 20 years dude that's scary god (laughs) i'll just leave us all on that note shall i all right we'll be right back (laughs) 
When toxic culture has you down. When you're just looking to laugh and have fun. Kick back and enjoy watching a video game. Or just make some new friends. It's time to visit the geek to geek Media Network. A community of podcasters, streamers, and bloggers. Well, more of a family than a community. All dedicated to geeking out about the things we love. Things like... Video games! Star Wars! Comics! Movies, K-pop, Disney Plus, Keanu. Keanu Reeves, New, or whatever our community decides is the next best thing. That's right. We have a great online community on Slack and Discord where we chat about our weekly geekery with listeners and viewers. And each other. Yep. And each other in real time. And we can't wait for you to join us. So come check us out at geek2geekmedia.com. And escape toxic fandom for something much more... Keanu? Yes, Keanu. All right, and we're back. So, what was your what was your first reaction coming back to something that's my fault? My first reaction was, "Oh, the early two thousands were just the nineties, still." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's probably true for every decade. Decade, like we talk about the eighties and we talk about the nineties, but like probably nineteen eighty, eighty one, and eighty two were probably still kind of like the seventies. Like it's not like a flip, a, a, a switch is flipped and all of a sudden we're in a new decade. Okay. Everybody start wearing neon and listening to synth music. Like, no, like right. it doesn't, you know, what we think of as the eighties didn't start on January 1st, 1980. Right. Like, uh, and so watching this movie, which was released in 2000, remember it was made in 1999. Yeah. And so yeah. it still very much feels like a nineties movie. Um, and, uh, yeah, right away they they put you in it. I mean, it's so it's such an interesting, such an interesting choice to start with a voiceover of Professor X, and he doesn't say much. Mm-mm. And I was like, I wonder what led to that bit. It's a, I guess if you could say, it's exposition. It is. It was a little artisticy, like exposition it was just kind of like i felt like it was tone setting is what it was trying to do okay um this is the opening lines mutation no no think about this okay you're you're a film goer you've watched the trailers for the x-men movie the, the, it's a cartoon, so you more or less, you know, have an idea, or you've heard the the term X Men before. You know it's a superhero team, probably. Mm-hmm. You're going into the theater to watch X Men. Probably a lot of people didn't know, or or a lot of people watching this movie didn't know what mutants were, didn't know the deal between Professor X and Magneto and that sort of thing, right? Right. Because it's you know ho- homo superior. It's a it's a pretty hardcore concept <laughs> when yeah, you think yeah. about it. You know, this is not these are not characters that got bit by radioactive spiders or took a super soldier serum or something like that, right? These aren't it's, your four color comic characters. No, you're you're and I think that was the thing that really grabbed Rosie when I was kind of breaking this down for her before we put on the movie was She's like, wait, so you're just like normal your first 10 years of life? And I'm like, yeah. And she goes, and nobody knows who or if it's going to happen to or or anything like that? No. 
And I can see in her face, she's like, that's terrifying. Right? <laughs> so, like, these mutant powers are not like, awesome, I'm going to be Spider-Man now. No, it's like, oh, God, this this kind of silent plague is, like, happening to me now, and I'm infected, or I have this thing, and now my life is different, and I can't tell anyone because they're going to shun me. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've got I've got hair in weird places, and now I phase through the floor every night. <laughs> and exactly, you don't know what your power is going to be, and so that's a pretty hardcore idea. Uh, it's kind of terrifying, but mm-hmm. there's I mean, I was I assume I presume there was a lot of people that that showed up to this movie not necessarily knowing all of that, right. And so the the opening lines are interesting to me because it's just this. It's not really exposition. It's, it's just this. Mutation. It is the key to our evolution. It has enabled us to evolve from a single-celled organism into the dominant species on the planet. This process is slow and normally taking thousands and thousands of years. But every few hundred millennia, evolution leaps forward. Done. Boom. We're, and... I almost felt like I tried listening to that, like as somebody who didn't know what the X-Men were, and I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? (laughs) Like, like I just imagined somebody new to this going, wait, what? What what did I just hear? I don't know what to do with this. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, Joe. Exactly. I wonder how many people didn't know what to do with that couple those couple lines of dialogue like what okay what what is that now now where are we now we're like it's like this very fight club intro like cg intro (laughs) like right this camera like shooting through these like synapses and stuff and apparently that's what that's like supposedly the x gene like moving through the the human body or something right right well it's funny because i did watch the um the um new rock stars um uh, what do they call Easter egg video of oh, it? Yeah, so yeah. That, like, like we watch it for everything else. Why not go back and watch this? <laughs> he referred to it as as some '90s screensaver bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> totally, and it's literally uh, uh, almost almost the exact opening for David Fincher's Fight Club, which came out a year before. So it's like, wow, they just totally was like, yeah, let's do that again. I wonder how many '90s movies did this that we don't remember. <laughs> well, I mean, it's that's what. Happened happened with with uh spider-man intros like they were the same thing they were like the dna yeah that's right that's right so uh i thought that was interesting we hear professor x's voice we get that little bit of like something about evolution and and mutations okay you know and then boom Mm -hmm. we're we're in this like weird inner world uh and then we're at a fucking concentration camp. Yeah, it's it's not a it's not a gentle transition. Um, so let me give you what what Lyle has up till that point. Uh, oh yeah, it, listener Lyle, right? Yeah, he said to one at one point he sent me a message that says he's basically got a note for every minute of screen time. I think it slowed down <laughs> at some point, but it goes um, X Men man. Uh, just this intro, I remember watching this as a young nerdy teen and being blown away. Uh, Patrick Stewart really was an amazing choice for Charles and throughout the saga really does portray him well. And I do think (laughs) Patrick Stewart portrays the X, the professor X we all want. Not you saying this or Lyle saying, no, this is me saying it. I feel like Patrick Stewart portrays the X-Men that we all want to have. But then when you go back and you look at the the (laughs) comics, you're like, Oh no, 
No, he's a terrible person. <laughs> True. They get into that with uh, James McAvoy's representation of Professor X, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, they do a little bit. And then um, I'm going to talk about the cartoon a little bit because I did watch a couple of episodes last night afterwards. And yeah, no, it's – ooh. (laughs) There's a lot to unpack there, Ray. Ooh, Um, maybe we'll do that next next time before X2. Maybe I'll I'll screen a couple of the episodes of the cartoon. That's what I thought you were going to say. That's that's what I thought you were going to say you started – Rosie on because no. that's what all of our introductions to the X-Men were unless you were heavy into the comics at that point. Cool. Uh, and then he goes, Oh, got to do the Holocaust scene and yet still somehow paint Eric as the a villain. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. no kidding. Um, so yeah. So then that takes us to the, um, the Holocaust scene where, you know, they're taking away Eric's, parents at the concentration camp and he basically bends this they they pointed out in new rock stars that he bends the um the gates into yes. like a distorted x right right so storm has a line of dialogue uh one of her precious few lines of dialogue in the movie unfortunately mm-hmm. where i i think it's her she says that the mutation takes place during puberty usually triggered by some sort of traumatic event. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know if it was right. Storm that said that or not, but yeah, no, it uh, was. and so you, it makes sense like rogues first kiss, right? Like you're kind of, you know, the nerves are up for, mm-hmm. for Eric, obviously it was being separated from his parents. Um, and I'm wondering th- this whole scene makes me wonder we're, you know, it's 2022 now. We are, um, it's going to be at least a year or two before, at the earliest, before Kevin Feige decides to introduce us to the X-Men and the MCU. Does a Jewish Magneto still work? I don't, I don't think so. And I, and I, and I feel bad because I think, you know, you don't want to take that kind of history away, but if you're going to set this in 2022, I still think that we should have a black Charles Xavier and a black Magneto. I, you know, yeah, it's, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's like a, a right answer here. I think no matter what choice is made, we're losing something really important. Mm-hmm. Um, But I definitely like, I, man, this is such an like ongoing kind of like conversation and argument in geek circles. I can totally see why Magneto has to be Jewish, you know, and why that's imp- so central to his character. And if if you take that away from him, is he still Magneto? Um, and I, you know, it's definitely for Jewish comic book fans that are like, hey, <laughs> we don't have that many. You're going to take this, you know, like, come on, Magneto. Like, it's. Right. it's but he's uh, also not always been Jewish in the comics. Like, he was originally, he was a gypsy. Right. Uh, or right. Romani. I'm sorry, gypsy is not. Right. Correct. But I mean, like, you know, that that was originally, he was, he was a Romani. He was not a. Um, he was not a yeah but you could say that batman used guns originally but the choice for batman to not use guns has become so central to that character that it might as well just be you know like that's part of who batman is now at this point 
Right. You know? Right. And so I, th- I feel the same way about Magneto, but I'm with you in that that's going to take, that's going to be a stretch, like to make it make sense. And it's only going to get harder to do as time marches on. <laughs> right. right. Well, I mean, just time wise, like anybody who was alive and able to process world war two mm. and the atrocity, like go through that, those atrocities are like pushing them. A century old like they're they're like we've have very very few of those people left right and so you know to try and set something into 2022 where magneto was in a concentration camp it's going to be really hard to pull off because it's just timeline wise is not going to work and so then you look at okay what are your next choices you could see a whole bunch of atrocities in vietnam but then he's more of an observer than a participant but where can we make him an actual participant? Well, let's go back to what the original idea between these two characters were. And the whole idea was Malcolm X versus uh, Martin Luther King. Do you think that's too on the nose, though? Um, not 40, 60 years later. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'm just, I'm also wondering, like, is there, like... Is there a way to set the movie in a certain, like maybe in the past a little bit, you know, because Magneto's story is not going to be the ongoing story for the X-Men, just like Thanos's story, you know, it was told with the Avengers mm-hmm. and now they're, that story has been told. It's done. They're moving on with other villains and other characters going forward. Right. So you could set, you could, you know, you're not always going to use Magneto as the main villain, right? Magneto doesn't always have to be present. So could you tell Magneto's story within a series of films set at an appropriate time? And then as we catch up to our present reality, that story's already been told. I don't know, because I think if even in the, the movies that we have, He's not necessarily the villain. He may be a villain, but he's also more of a he's an alternate he's an alternative view on the situation. Sure. And so he's 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 basically one of the X-Men, just not. You know what I mean? Well, Claremont's whole thing was he intended for, and this is from the documentary that I talked about in Weekly Geekery. Um he Claremont intended for Magneto to be reformed, join the X-Men as a headmaster because Charles was going to die. Mm-hmm. So Professor X is sort of the, the, the carryover from the initial iteration of the X-Men that didn't sell very well and got canceled. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he was the headmaster of the X-Men or the leader of the X-Men for that time. And Magneto was the villain for that time. And then professor X would die. Magneto would be reformed because he wasn't all bad. He was, he was, as you said, you know, the, the, the Holocaust, um, context of his character means that he you know he can't be fully portrayed as an evil villain he just has you know he has a different take he has a different experience that that are guiding his actions and then in the comics claremont intended for him to be reformed take over as the the headmaster of the school the leader of the x-men so that a proper new age modern era villain that was completely 
irredeemable be introduced probably apocalypse but right it's it's like the you know mag apocalypse is to magneto what magneto was to xavier right well and and at for a time magneto was in charge of the new mutants right like that was Claremont, you know kind of putting putting the the pieces in place to go towards what he intended and all he all he, he was a horrible character back then because if you go back and you watch the read the new mutants when it's uh, when Magneto's in charge of them he's just angry dad yeah like he's just like go to yeah. your room and they're like no and he has no like he has no recourse he's the Homer Simpson of the the X mansion at that point where he's right like, oh, you know go to your room no no like it's so, that bad <laughs> so what I'm saying is that this this is a story this is a finite story that probably needs to be told this way not this way but you know you can't have Thanos as an ongoing threat you can't have Magneto mm-hmm. as an ongoing you know yin to xavier's yang like these actors whoever's playing these characters are gonna age you have to find a way to tell a in a a concise not a concise but like a story that ends right that wraps up right right it has a resolution so if you were gonna do that you could do it a couple decades into the past in order to make the world war ii you know holocaust context makes sense for magneto's character you know what i mean right yeah like you yeah could it would do just that be a very he would just be you know he would just be when we get to modern times he would just be very very old <laughs> right and he might be retiring as the headmaster and maybe you know charles xavier died in the 90s you know what i mean like mm-hmm. or, or in the 80s but I, I don't know i'm just i used to, i was originally totally on board for like the you know oh let's let's cast them as black people that totally makes sense and now i'm like uh, i don't know like i maybe i'm already assuming that the fantastic four are going to be black and i just feel like you uh uh it, it becomes like that's not the solution i think for you know these characters being out of touch or 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 misrepresenting the true diversity that they should represent and kind of failing that I like I also could see how just make everyone black is also not really honoring the the issue, you know what I mean? That 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 black comic book fans are like what the fuck? You know what I mean? Like that's also not the thing to do. No, I I I definitely get that. I do think that one thing that you could do so that both um you know, both parties are getting their character a character that represents them mm-hmm. they do think you need to lean a little bit more into kitty pride's um right jewish roots because right. that was right. something that also tended to be played downplayed quite a bit right in the right comments. and the, the movie sort of introduces both of them and their origin stories right away to kind of play off that i mean they don't they don't signal uh kitty as jewish but it's like Hey, you know, Magneto was persecuted for many reasons and mutants are still being persecuted. And you can see this character's they, you know, this character's uh, uh, kind of burgeoning powers and how traumatic that is. Um, and, and Singer does make the choice to play those off of each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. early on yeah, which absolutely <laughs> this is why i was so excited to talk to you about this man because i'm watching the movie and i'm going wow this is a fascinating approach to this story and these characters for for its time 
does it work now? You know, what, what yeah. would have to change and what, what is Feige going to hold on to, you know, from, from this first iteration, if anything. Um, well, and, and one of the things I kept going through is I'd watch it and there was a lot of stuff that I look at this now and I compare it to what we're getting in Avengers movies. And I'm yeah. just, you, you can't help but be a little disappointed because you're like, you see the potential that was there. And so you start going, okay, what do I want in the next movie? Like what, Right. What things did they not do here that that I want? And I mean, right. the the one standout thing that I was absolutely like, we need more of, is we need storm. That's we what I was going to say. Really <laughs> good storm. Yes. We need a storm that is as awesome as she should be. Yes, yeah, storm is completely wasted in this film. Just criminally underused. Just. You would never think to do that to a character like Storm now. Like, no, you just couldn't. There's no way you would, you, you couldn't justify it because it's, she's such a rich character that you're like, well, if you're not going to use this character to, to their full potential for story and everything in the team, then why even have her in there? Like, yeah, what? like, what is the, like, you could have easily made her. I mean, if you're going to use Storm the way you use Storm, make her freaking Polaris and move on with life. Like, it, yeah, it like feels, that's the level they reduce her down to. Grossly, it feels like, oh, we need a black character in here. Absolutely. Like, there is other, otherwise, there's no racial diversity at all in this movie. So, um, <laughs> don't forget, I mean, I mean, I feel like we need to talk about Singer, Brian, <laughs> Brian Singer. He directed this movie. He's a piece of shit. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, definitely not, uh, or I, I guess you could say definitely persona non grata nowadays uh, because of all the accusations that have come to light about the underage sex parties that <laughs> he would have, um, through, you know, throughout his time in Hollywood, which uh, fucking ew. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, and, and I mean, again, once again, why in the hell can't we have nice things because yeah. of this? <laughs> and, and Joss Whedon, who was brought in to work on the script a little bit. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> what the, I feel like it was necessary yeah. for us to say, like, some very terrible people were part of you know getting this movie done which i'm sure is probably the case for a lot of movies throughout the history of hollywood but uh in particular for this you know there's a reason why these men are not working uh anymore and shouldn't be probably no i mean okay we have to take a second and talk about that article you sent me (laughs) because ray sent me like just the most repulsive ew um joss whedon moment Oh, he spoke up. That's right. He finally yeah. He finally de- spoke out about defended. like defended himself instead of doing what he should have done, which was saying, "I apologize. There's no excuse for my behavior. I am seeking treatment for my awfulness." Um, he goes and doubles down, and you know how we feel about doubling down on this show. And he actually says, "How? How? Ray? How does an intelligent man think that these words are going to get him out of trouble?" Actually says that. Um, one of the accusations was that um, uh, he was going to fire or do something horrible to Gal Gadot, right? And ruin her and career. Ruin her career. And 
And he said, well, you know, English isn't her first language. And I went, like, when I read that, Ray, I got sick to my stomach. I was like, how... How? How did that? How did you think that that was going to go over? How did you like really? Right. Really? That's not what I said, or that's not how I intended it. The tone was different. I'm sure, you know, because English is in her first language, there was probably a miscommunication there, blah, blah, blah. Just get the fuck out of here with that. Yeah, just <laughs> move on, man. Move on. And then, and then I've heard, okay, so famously, the worst line in X-Men is that god-awful toad line. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You know what happens when yeah. a toad is struck by lightning? The same thing that happens to everyone else. It's the stupidest line ever, and it is a Joss Whedon line. Yeah. <laughs> apparently, apparently, Halle Berry was directed to say it wrong. Right. It's not that it's a bad line. It's just the actor's fault or the director's fault. It's not, couldn't be Joss Whedon's fault. Yeah. <laughs> awful, 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 awful. Um, so what's, what's kind of <laughs> blows my mind is that well, while you have Singer directing this movie and Whedon script doctoring this movie in the year 2000 or in the year 1999 while it's being made you nonetheless have kevin feige a young kevin feige on set sort of giving you know early in his career really not having any power whatsoever you know in the industry uh, basically put there to sort of babysit Singer and make sure he doesn't, you know, disappear on some coke binge or whatever, <laughs> as he was prone to do later in his career. Uh, you have Feige there giving, trying to give notes. You know, hey, um, so this is what the comics are like. I don't know if anyone cares at this point, but just guys, you know. guys, pushes, pushes the glasses up his nose. Um, yeah. uh, uh, just so you know, that's not how it happens in the comics. Yeah. Hey, so a storm wouldn't say that like that. Shut up, kid. You know, like <laughs> storms actually really badass, and you're not giving her enough to do in this film. Hello? Exactly. Hello. And I, like I would love to to for somebody to be able to sort of verify like what if any impact Feige was able to have on this movie at this point because I'm sure any bit of fan service that we we get in this movie I'm sure was somehow impacted by Feige's presence you know what I mean mm-hmm. um so so that happened um, that's what the set was like and it's crazy to think that probably, Probably as as a super you know geek, Feige has one taken that experience with him in in his sort of you know constructing the MCU right, and finally being given the the, the keys to to the kingdom and and to do it right right quote unquote right you know as, at least as he sees fit. Just imagine the feelings that he has around X-Men and and how long he's probably harbored, you know, this, this, uh, um, gosh, I don't know, just this like fantasy where he gets to fix all of the things 
that he knows was they got wrong in the first one because he didn't have the power to sort of set things right. And he's going to scratch probably a huge itch when he Mm -hmm. finally gets to uh, introduce the X-Men into the MCU the the right way, according to, to him, you know? Yeah, I feel like I feel like the X Men, like when like when you see those geeks who are like really hardcore collectibles, and they get like the 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 jewel of their collection, and it's like highlighted in their collection, yeah. and they've got to put it like just so, and they don't want to touch it too much because they don't want to mess it up, but they just want to make sure it's just perfectly angled and perfectly lit. I feel like that's why we haven't gotten anything about the X Men yet, right. because I feel like he's just like it must be perfect. Right. <laughs> this this must be perfect. Yeah, and he's right. You know, yeah. it's that important. The X Men are that important. So, well, it's. I mean, it just they they mean so much to so many people for so many different reasons. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, so you know, this movie, <laughs> it's it's like a fun relic or like ancient artifact from all the way back twenty years ago, two thousand. Um, what, what did you think about the choice? Like looking back now, what did you think about the choice to cast rogue so young and sort of, you know, as, as the, the de facto Kitty pride, I guess you could say. Um, it's very interesting because I feel like every iteration of X-Men gets a different, um, point of view character Mm -hmm. and it always tends to be a young woman. Which I just find kind of fascinating. We started with first, the first one's Kitty Pride, yeah, and then the next one was Jubilee, right. and then in the movie you get a young Rogue, Rogue. and um, uh, Lyle's comment on Rogue was, "Oof, I forgot how not well Rogue is done," <laughs> <laughs> and then it all came back. Um, and I don't know that I necessarily agree with that, only because I don't think she was bad. I just think they. They were taking it. They were simplifying an overly complex character. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought she was a good. She was a good character to work with, just because of how her powers work. Because a lot of yeah, you know, like one of the episodes that I watched, I watched the first six episodes of the the animated series, and I was kind of blown away by how much the the stuff we're talking about now in politics and culture was represented in this cartoon. Because literally, the uh, fifth episode is about the Morlocks and being able to pass. Wow! Like that's that's literally what the episode is about. And they kind of call Scott and Jean out on being this beautiful couple wow. that look per- per- perfectly normal. And they're, yeah, and and yeah, it's easy for you to say, oh, we'll go live up there together in a world that hates mutants and work together when you don't look like us. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like that's a little bit of what they were trying to do with Rogue because sh- they have all these characters that have kind of cool powers that are really um, – kind of what you want as a four colored hero to they're have glamour. They're glamorous. Yeah. They're very glamorous. And here's a character who can't touch anybody. Like she has no human connection because like she can kill people with her touch. And yeah. so I think the choice to use her as a central character as the point of view character, is a really good way of doing it because it really becomes <laughs> then this, this, this conversation about passing this conversation about 
you know, not, not all minorities are going to experience things the same way. Well, I think they tried, they, they really wanted to give the sense that these powers are not necessarily like a boon, like they're, you know, there's something to deal with. And, and apparently early in the planning stages for this film, they had scenes where, Cyclops gets his powers and destroys his high school. And mm-hmm. um, who else? I think Storm gets her Storm powers dis- and destroys her village. her village in Africa. Yeah. So they wanted to show that, like, you know, hey, it, it's not all fun. Like, the, these are things that these powers, these mutations are things that these people are dealing with and trying to survive and navigate. Um, and I think you're right. You know, they, they, the storytellers, are looking at the story they want to tell and who can, who can serve a function, which characters can serve the function that we need for the audience in order to tell the story. And rogue, I think did make sense. Um, also, I think, you know, comic book fans that know rogue from the later nineties comics and from the cartoon, know rogue to be this really like outgoing extroverted, like Southern, you know, personality, I guess, mm-hmm. but maybe, you know, should remember that early on when Claremont first introduced rogue one, she was a villain Mm -hmm. and two, when she joined the team, she was very introverted because she didn't feel accepted rightfully. So, you know, and it took a while for her to come out of her shell. Um, and then she absorbed and practically kills, you know, Captain Marvel. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Miss Marvel, Miss Marvel. Like I'm really excited about the fact that this universe has, Carol Danvers in it because mm-hmm. it gives us the potential to to have the rogue from the comics, which is exciting. Like like to have to have the the actual story of Rogue and this you know dual identity and this you know there's there's going to be mental health issues there. There's going to be like redemption arcs there um, because I mean like Carol Danvers and and Rogue are not friends in the comics at all. Even when they fight together, they're not friends. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I'm I'm wondering at what point does that happen in Rogue's story? I don't remember. Is it before she joins the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants or after? No, she joins the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, and Mystique basically uses her to take out Captain Marvel. That's right. But it's Miss Marvel at the time. It's Miss Marvel at the time, yeah. Right. But it is uh Carol Danvers. Oh, that's fucking fascinating, man. I mean, and that's another that's another character that I feel is just you look at her now and you look at what the character is supposed to be, and Mystique is just all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Just Mystique all is, over the place. Yeah, yeah. But like suitably badass, but Oh yeah. Yes. yes. But um, the 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 character that we see in the comics is much more Black Widow than whatever <laughs> whatever's going on in this movie. <laughs> that's so true. That and again, you know, they're looking at the characters because X Men has so many characters, and they're thinking, okay, which characters can serve the functions that we need for this story? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I always thought in that scene where Rogue's powers are activated during her first kiss, I always thought that kid was supposed to give a hint at Gambit. I don't know why. I just see that oh, kid as like, yeah, no, I don't know what they call him in the movie, but that's Cody. And Cody, right. Cody almost like, I think he doesn't die. I think they, he's in coma for a lot. Both that and the cartoon say that he was in coma for three weeks. I think in the comics, he was like in coma for years. 
I'm not saying he is supposed to be Gambit. I'm saying I get Gambit vibes from Gambit, that Gambit kid. Vibe to him. <laughs> <laughs> like you can see why later on she's so attracted to Gambit. Like maybe she has a type and she's, you know, maybe he remembers, he, he reminds her of her first love or something. You know what I mean? Right. Her right, first right. crush. But just the way he kind of like, I don't know, he has this like playboy kind of feel to him. It's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. uh, in that scene where he's trying to, he's like pretty smooth, you know, he mm-hmm. he, he, saddle, he sidles up to her for, you know, a kiss and everything. I'm like, oh, she likes those really bold lover boy types <laughs> already. Um, a couple of other commentaries on characters that, Lyle had. I love Ian McKellen as Eric, but he does seem to be a bit old and frere for how badass Magneto is supposed to be. Yes. It's like being afraid of my grandpa. <laughs> I agree, Lyle. I agree. <laughs> and I think it's a real treat. I think we've been spoiled by getting, you know, that f- this first iteration of Magneto as such a great, like phenomenal presence uh, from Ian McKellen and then getting the great fucking Michael Fassbender so to good. really bring, you know, Magneto's full, you know, characterization uh, in the movies, I think is just fantastic. Like it makes me sad that we're probably not going to get a, uh, you know, Fassbender Magneto going forward. Cause no, but so I mean, perfect. honestly, at this point, I'm excited to see another actor take on some of these characters roles. Like, I feel like we've seen these takes and I want to see, I want to see different actors, like, like I'm not excited to see Moon Knight because I never thought that we would get a Moon Knight hmm. anything. I'm excited because Isaac Eric or um, um what's his face Isaac um what's his last oh. name Ray? <laughs> uh, why did you do that to me? Like, if, Oscar if you, Isaac. Oscar if you Isaac. Asked me, I would have been able to answer. <laughs> um, Oscar Isaac is such an amazing actor, like. Mm-hmm. I just want to see what he's going to do with this role. And I feel like that's like when they start announcing who they've cast as X-Men, mm-hmm. like I think our minds are going to be blown because there's going to be some that we're going to go really. And there's going to be some that we're like, absolutely like there's going to be, there's going to be that Patrick Stewart character where you're like, nobody could possibly play the character except him. Right. Right. I, I guess you're right. And I, and I can see, I guess part of me feels that way, but part of me feels like I, <sighs> Yes, we got to see Michael Fassbender as Magneto, which was an excellent casting choice. Mm-hmm. Similarly, yes, we got to see Henry Cavill as Superman, and which was a brilliant casting choice. But I still want to see them done right. I still mm-hmm, want to see mm-hmm. those actors play those characters in a good fucking story, <laughs> in a good movie. Like that's that's where I'm still holding on to that a little bit. It's gonna take a while for me to heal from, you know, <laughs> shit, man. You got the right person for the right character, and you just didn't give them a script or a movie worthy of that brilliant right. casting choice. You know, I still have no, a little get- bit of that angst in me no i get that uh he says as a teen boy this scene is exactly how i imagined logan gritty hopeless a little drunk brutal just raging raging through life yeah i remember being shocked at how well they got the portrayal of wolverine yeah um the guy on uh, is it eric ross Eric Voss, Eric Voss, Eric Voss. on uh, uh, New Rockstars was like, he's like, and then all of us, you know, this scene happens and every teenage boy who was a fan of this franchise was like, fuck yeah. Yep. <laughs> we're like, yep, yep. that, that we, we really were. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, Wolverine as the main character, you know, it, mm-hmm. I I guess, you know, they couldn't not make that choice. I understand, you know, that it, you don't want to fuck around when trying to, you know, introduce the X-Men in their first movie. You know what I mean? Like, right. Right. Cause if this fails, we're never going to get, you know, all the, you know, all the rest of the stuff. So, you knowing that Wolverine is such a popular character, just give it to them. We need to, we need to use this to make sure that this film is a success so that we can tap into all the other potential. Right. Right. And we're all, we're all, we all suffered from Wolverine burnout. Like it's perfectly like, yes, but it's still, <laughs> he's still a good character. He's got a lot of depth to them. He's not just an angry furball that, you know, cuts things up. Um, I am excited. I am excited for a new actor to play Wolverine. Yeah. And I want him to be short. Yes, Um, exactly. (laughs) Yes. I feel like Hugh Jackman really uh, did everything he could do with the character. uh, And it was brilliant. It's a legendary portrayal. And I'm for, that's one that I'm definitely ready to move on from. One thing that I found out while I was kind of like researching is, okay, so you know the scene where he's talking to Rogue on the train? Yes. Apparently, that was one of the earliest scenes they filmed, and he was not like, he was not Wolverine yet. He hadn't gotten a grasp on the character, and you can see it. Like, I remember watching it last night going, this is not Wolverine at all. This is awful. Um, Oh, that's interesting. Like, like for the first three or four weeks on set, like he was almost fired because he wasn't giving them what they wanted. Like the producers and singer were not happy, and um, and finally, like he he found the character. He he started doing what he um, what he started channeling in his his I am now Wolverine routine was was one morning he got into the shower not realizing that the hot water was off, and like you know that. I just got hit with water that I didn't expect to be cold. Mm. And he had that reaction, but he didn't want to wake up his wife in the other room. So he just kind of gritted and bared it. Oh. And so that became, that became his like how to get wolf into the Wolverine mindset was to have like this, like big reaction that he couldn't express. Right. Like the simmering rage, like, like just it, that, like, and so he would take a cold shower every day before he, Oh, played Wolverine to just kind of capture that feeling and then do his thing. That's right. Because Wolverine has this fucking animal inside of him. And yeah, just to participate in society is like a huge challenge for Logan. Right. At any moment he can solve, make anything go away by just ripping people apart, (laughs) like literally just clawing through anything in front of him. And that's always that's always a solu- an answer or a solution or a possibility there for him. So to not choose that, you know, whatever, 60% of the time mm-hmm. must take so much control, right? Yeah. Huh. That's, that's interesting. Uh, Lyle says, I was worried Logan's healing CGI would look awful, but at least on the Disney Plus version, it seems as good as always. Yeah, yeah. That, that shot, be- that iconic shot. We get a few iconic shots in this movie um, that I think they, they do a very, very necessary job of like punching, punching up the audience a little bit of going like, 
this is something you've never seen before where it's mm-hmm. like, you know, we're watching, okay, we've, we've all watched the movie where we're seeing, you know, we're seeing the, the story through the lens of a character, right. That's new mm-hmm. to this as well. We've seen, you know, the scenes where two characters are in a boxing match. We've seen this, the scene before where somebody is, you know, sitting at a bar and trying to like figure out what they're going to do next. But every now and then we'll get a shot like a fucking blade slicing open a knuckle and like coming right at the camera. And it's like, you've never seen that before. No, no, and it's and, pretty and, amazing. And the audience goes, whoa, what the, f-? like, you know, and uh-huh. I, I can see Rosie do that. And, and, and there's a few of those that are really iconic at this point for a reason, because the movie needs that like X-Men mm-hmm. does that for you as a comic book fan. And, and the movie definitely needed that. So those are some great choices. And that, shot of that blade popping through Logan's knuckle. I remember seeing that in the theater and thinking, I can't believe they showed that. Yeah. <laughs> like they're really giving us that, like this, this is not pretty. It, like these powers will fuck you up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, uh, I was never, this is Lyle again. I was never a fan of this version of Sabretooth, even for the time period and taking mostly the Saturday morning cartoons into account, it's just so shallow. Yeah, lo- the the, the <laughs> Sabretooth is awful in this movie. God, yeah. You know, I, I've I've always felt that way too. I have to say I have warmed up to the the physical representation of Sabretooth in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh not the greatest, but I think I don't know. I've warmed up to it. It's okay. The long hair bothered me. The the crazy eyebrows bothered me for many, many years. And now I'm like, if you just take, um, leave Shriver's like characterization of Victor Creed from mm-hmm. the later, you know, Wolverine movies and, and have, I think his name's T- Tyler, Tyler main. I think his name is, yeah, um, so. you know, do that, give that acting performance, not that he could, but give that acting performance, I think that would be a badass saber tooth. Oh, yeah. And, and, and honestly, the, the look is a, a decent, considering considering what they're wearing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a perfectly fine representation. I have more issues with the Mystique look than, I mean, it's, it is a cool visual. It's a weird choice for Mystique. Yeah, that's true. But with saber tooth, like, imagine what this saber tooth looks like. I agree with you. Awful, totally wasted. Sabretooth is not this hulking brute that can barely put two words together, right? No, he doesn't just growl. Like, and again, you go back to the cartoon, and he's in like the first. He's like in three of the first six episodes, Mm. and he's horrible. Like, he's a he's evil. He's plotting. He's vengeful. Like, he he does this whole thing where he lures Jubilee in and gets her to release him. Like, he's he's manipulative. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's what I think that's what we didn't get to see from the character in the movie. The thing, though, is you if you think about it, Joe, it, the grunting is a choice because there is that one scene where he grabs Storm and he says, scream for me. Mm-hmm. And so then you sort of go, you reflect back on the character throughout the rest of the movie up to that point, And you realize, oh, he can talk. He's choosing like there's more there. He's mm-hmm, choosing mm-hmm. not to talk, but I wish that was more apparent. You know what I mean? It's yeah. Just, it's yeah not- they didn't do a good job of pointing that out or making it uh, make sense. No, Sabretooth should have been somebody that walks in smoking a fucking cigar, 
he can still look like that, but imagine him walking into Magneto's lair, uh, mm-hmm. which we're, I want to talk about, um, smoking a cigar, kind of like with this really fucking like sarcastic, you know, it's like Hannibal Lecter, but not mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. w- without the intellectual part, you know, so highlighted, but it's like he, this, this person is a sadist and they're powerful but they have this really like sarcastic sense of humor about them and him walking in with a cigar and sort of like talking back a little bit to Magneto, but still doing what he's told. Right, right, right. That would have been fucking great, you know, but unfortunately we just didn't get that in this movie. No, no. Um, the Again, Lyle, the misdirection to make the film seem like Logan is who they want to, is still well played. I can't tell if it's too obviously a ruse or just enough i i i I remember thinking that last night when i was watching it i was like oh i forgot the whole like everybody thinks it's wolverine they're after and it's not right right um that yeah that was a good choice and i think it makes sense because the audience is of course expecting wolverine to be the main character in all ways right um, he says the misdirection to make the, f- oh no, no, I just read that. Uh, and here we got our first look at how manipulative Charles is. Oh sure. It doesn't look like it now, but this shows the groundwork and I'm not quite sure exactly what he is pointing at, which, which moment he's pointing out, but yeah, no, there are definitely Charles manipulation moments in this <laughs> a plenty. It's interesting, uh, to hear Jean gray at one point in this film say, um, no, nowhere like where Wolverine asks him, like asks her, you know, what are your powers? And she says, and he goes, Oh, like the professor. And she goes, nowhere near that powerful. And it's like, that's not true actually. Right. right. We know that's right. not true. We we know that she's actually dangerously powerful to the point that professor X has had to in like install these limitations within her brain. And at this point, she doesn't even know that she just believes she's not that powerful. Yeah. Well, and there was something that was pointed out to me, like mind blowing when I was looking at videos today that I can't wait to get to the end of this and tell you about because it has to deal with Gene and I'd never seen it before. And then I went back and looked at it. I'm like, oh my God, it's right there. But I will get to that in a second. Um, Logan's uh, incredulity. I cannot be able to say this. His his scoffing at the code names and eventually the costumes is just too perfect. A nod that different media will need different treatment. Um, there is a great video online of um, them trying to jump over uh, a, a barrier on Liberty Island. And it's one of the previous takes. And... Hugh Jackman takes just like a facer over the, the pylon and James Marsden goes, how do people move in these? <laughs> they don't. <laughs> they don't. That's the whole point. Yeah. Um, Ask Michael Keaton in the first Batman. He couldn't even freaking turn around. His neck. Yeah. Uh, the choice to have Mystique slash Raven on just body paint is so weird and also probably sexist somewhere in there too. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty awful. Um, the fit of Magneto is amazing. Why are villains always so well-dressed? <laughs> also, you still can't convince me that he's wrong. I'll, I'll say this. I, as far as the code names go, which, you know, I can see why they felt the need to poke fun at the code names and the yellow spandex. It does take me out of the film 
when they're sitting in Logan's truck <laughs> and she says, I'm rogue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I always want to go, wait, is she saying that she's rogue? Like she left her family and she's gone rogue? Or is she <laughs> saying that her name is rogue? Because both would kind of make sense, but actually one would make sense that she went rogue from her life, but we don't even get that. It's just kind of like, for no reason, I've already decided that I have this cool code name that I'm going by. Like, she's not an X-Man yet. She's not, you know what I mean? Like, right, that, right, right. That, that nickname hasn't been lovingly given to her by the other students, like, which I guess that's a way to make it make sense for the rest of the characters. Right. Well, I guess I mean, like in the in the comic books, they basically become that is your your true chosen name as opposed to the name that you were given because you're no longer like that's how they that's how they end up justifying it post four color comics. Right. It's like it becomes your 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 mutant name versus your old like human name. Right. And I think any sort of explanation at that point would have would have helped. But even yeah. to this day, that still that line still takes me out of the movie where she's like, I'm rogue. And he's like, what kind of name is rogue? She's like, what kind of name is Wolverine? And he's like, all right, yeah, I'm Logan. Like, <laughs> so and then later on, it's like Cyclops. What is like, dude, you're already Wolverine. Like you, yeah. you, <laughs> you have you, no room to talk. <laughs> <laughs> you barely got an eye at rogue. And now you're going to talk about like Storm. Uh, so that's funny to me. Toad for me also seems like a choice as a character. Like they had all these different characters they were considering, right? Weren't they considering Blob? They were considering Blob. They were considering um, Avalanche. They were considering Juggernaut. Yeah. They were considering there was like one or two others in there that they were thinking about. But and yeah. I, I remember hearing that Ray Park was going to be playing Toad. And I knew who Ray Park was at that point because of the Phantom Menace. And I knew that this was the stunt person that played Darth Maul. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, Oh my God, Toad is going to be a badass. <laughs> and he so wasn't. <laughs> he so wasn't. He's, which probably makes more sense for the comics version of Toad. But I right. just, the whole Ray Park casting totally changed my expectation for what the character was going to be. Well, and then he does that stupid dance. And- yes. And I was like, where in the hell did that come from? And then he kicks the he kicks the the bar that he was using to keep the elevator open and does the Darth Maul pose. And it's like Right. Really? Right. It's kind really? of also the Jim Carrey's Riddler pose a little bit, I feel like. A little bit, yeah. Uh and then his skin is painted different colors at different points in the movie. And it's like, wait, what is this? It's like they didn't quite figure it out yet, but they were already shooting, so fuck it. Right, right. Well, and and like Toad should be Toad's an interesting character in the comics because when he was first created, he's basically Igor to Magneto's Dracula, and right. and he's this like put upon servant that nobody takes seriously, and he's really kind of dangerous, and he mm-hmm. even takes over the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants at one point. Oh wow! And and is like. I'll show them that I can like he's he's the worst kind of dangerous. He's the lackey <laughs> who gets the power and has nothing to lose. <clears throat> yes. Yes, I agree. Um it, so many 
it's so interesting to look back and see who they felt was needed for this movie in order to tell the story they wanted to tell. I'm sure it would be so different now. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, fingers crossed for getting the original five team for, you know, seeing rogue actually be a villain first. I mean, who knows if we're going to get all that, but I think it would be pretty great. Um, Also like we do get more characters just kind of thrown in there in the classroom scene in in professor X's classroom. We have Mm -hmm. Jubilee, we have Mirage, we have Pyro, we have Iceman and we have Kitty Pride. Of course, most of these are recast later on, but I think it's so interesting who they threw in those, in those different scenes. Yeah. One of the things that I've always been kind of bitter about is like they, they made nods. Like you see, you see Colossus sitting there sketching in the, garden but then there were all these characters that you're just random characters that have no tie to the x-men at all and i get why they did that because they're like we don't know what characters we want to use when we do so we don't want to you know we don't want to blow our wad on like background characters but they they so misuse characters by the end of the run of these movies that it's kind of like really (laughs) they kill they kill guy rich (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who's in you know in in a lot of X-Men comics just before, before it even, yeah before the movie even starts <laughs> and and then they kill Senator Kelly off spoiler yes. uh, they kill Selver Kelly off Ken- Kelly off in the very first movie yes and like apparently and apparently Senator Kelly's death was originally pretty bloody where he disintegrates on that on that metal slab of a table right Mm -hmm. and they turned it into to water instead of blood (laughs) but have you seen have you seen where they replaced that video with um they like color the the water red and then they shift between him and the scene where the alien bursts out of it's so funny and the blood splatter goes everywhere and everyone starts screaming (laughs) yeah that's probably would have been more like actually and then guy rich is apparently killed by saber tooth off screen right we get a little blurb later late in the movie that they find his body and he's apparently mauled by a bear mauled by a bear yeah okay that's saber tooth there did doing that um so much i mean going back to the you know the the code names and the costumes um Apparently, Stanley and Chris Claremont were both on board with the leather, the choice, the leather yeah, choice, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, that's one of the things that I'm dying to see in the MCU is the interpretation of their comics and the X Men uniform because we know it's not going to be black leather at this point. It's going to be some iteration of, you know, comic book accurate costumes, um, right. which we've had hinted at. If you look at um, the movie of uh, the Wolverine, you know, there's a, there's a extra scene or there's a credit scene where they, the reveal of his helmet his his classic, you know, yellow or orange and Brown costume, but he never, mm-hmm. we never see it with him wearing it. No, it's there. It's been hinted at, but yeah, I'm dying to see these comics accurate costumes in the MCU. Well, and, and as and again, Eric Voss from New Rockstar says that you know, and he goes, "This is this is the first step until Marvel in, invents desaturation." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where, where because that's really what it is. It's like you could take these costumes and you can kind of just tone them down a little bit. Yes. <laughs> yes. That the costumes for me is one of the things that just doesn't hold up. Uh, and the other thing I have to say is the fight scenes. I thought all the fight scenes were terrible in They're this boring. movie. So They're bad. Boring. You hardly like, see a punch even thrown because the editing. 
Right. I mean, it's like you see you see the 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 hand, and then you see Storm going flying. Like yes. You don't see any contact or Nothing. even like the 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 impression of contact. Yeah, it's really poorly done. Exactly right. You don't see the contact that that really stands out right away, and you get various face offs. You know, you get an early Wolverine versus Sabretooth in the snow. You get a Wolverine versus Mystique. You get a Storm versus Toad, but. Not really, because <laughs> you don't right, actually right. see. It's like rare to even see both of those actors in the same shot, you know, actually facing off. It's all done by editing, and it's just, yeah, it leaves so much to be desired. It's funny, though. I, I laughed remembering that in the theater watching this, and, and I got to see a preview screening of X-Men before it was actually released. Um, I saw it maybe like a day or two before it came out, and there was actually Fox execs in the theater with us. No, that's cool. Yeah, but uh, that scene with Wolverine and Sabretooth on top of the on top of the Statue of Liberty, mm-hmm. Joe, people were standing and cheering at yeah. that fight scene. <laughs> well, I remember how epic it was. Now it's kind of like, oh yeah, with the poor exactly. Statue of Liberty, it always gets kind of eaten. But I mean, they did it first. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, it seemed totally epic at the time, and. I think they did what they could with the fight scenes. You know, they did what they could with the powers as well. Re- mm-hmm. Remind me, is is our Storm or Magneto considered Omega level mutants? I know Magneto is. I'm pretty sure Storm is too. Because he does seem pretty powerful when he takes when he lifts those cop cars and he takes everyone's guns away from them and like has them hovering and then like uh, you know actually like. Uh, uh, cocks the bullets and all of those guns like that's pretty powerful i think to be able to do all of that Mm -hmm. and so we get a sense of what he can do but then i also feel like in other scenes so many challenges or obstacles could be solved by the fact that these mutants are really fucking powerful like right (laughs) if storm toad is not and should not be uh, uh a problem for storm (laughs) <laughs> no, no. Well, I mean, exactly. Unless they actually use him as the conniving little villain that he is, but just the the, the toad that we're given should not be a challenge for a storm. No, so, and- we also don't have the storm that we should be. <laughs> we do not get the storm that we should. Be. Exactly, like Storm in this movie is lift using her powers to lift Logan, and Jean Grey is trying to stabilize him. And I get it; like it's a really cool way to show that the X-Men win when they work as a team, right? And mm-hmm. use their powers together. But it's like in the comics, Storm would just fly up there and fuck shit up. Like- <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, and that's why I, I really, you really got to go back and watch the, the cartoon because okay. the, an- okay. the animation is horrible. Like don't, <laughs> right. don't expect like the nostalgic view of the the art because it's it's bad it's grainy it's i mean it's from you know over 20 years ago so you know you can't you can't expect too much but the stories that they're telling like yeah you know magneto trying to break beast out of jail and beast going no i need to stand trial because i need to be a representation wow. of mutant rights and wow. yeah like these huge like things that as kids you can't like you, you don't think of, I mean, it, it still holds up and the dialogue's cheesy, but it's not terrible. Right. You know, you do right. get, you do get rogues favorite line. Um, you seem nervous like a cat in a room full of rocking chairs, which is the best <laughs> line ever. <laughs> I think, um, 
we, we need to talk about something you alluded to earlier about Jean Grey at Liberty Island. But before we do that, uh, I do want to point out another, what I feel is like really iconic scene, something that we weren't used to seeing, something that we would get more of later on, especially in X2, is Wolverine like actually using his claws to hurt people. Mm-hmm. Which you <laughs> and, can get in the cartoon because that right. would violate all sorts of rules. <laughs> right, right. But we do get... And I never, you know, I mean, I'm, I know this scene with him and Rogue in, in the middle of the night, uh, but I think it, it really took seeing Rosie's reaction to when she wakes him up from a nightmare and he stabs her through the fucking chest with his claws and we see it. She damn near jumped out of her chair because mm-hmm. I don't think, like, I, I think she anticipated the sort of the, you know, the scenario and the, the suspense but I don't think that Rosie actually thought we were going to see like his claws piercing through her body and coming out her back. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another like really iconic shot in this movie where it snaps the the audience back in into like sitting upright in their seats. Like, Whoa, what is going on? Like we're like, I'm not used to seeing something like this in a superhero movie, you know, especially in the year 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that Rogue uses her powers to heal herself, sort of instinctively, right? Mm-hmm, At that mm-hmm. point. Um, I thought I think that was important for me to mention because it's one of those things that like it's like a saving grace in this movie. It holds up for reasons for 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 those reasons, like those shots and those little things. And then you know you can see that they get better at it as they go and X2 really shows, Oh, okay. We can dive deeper into the weirdness of these characters and their interactions. And you know what X-Men gives you that no one else, no other superhero team really, really provides. Somebody pointed out, I think again, um, Eric Voss and new rock stars pointed out that um, he, he in the bar scene at the beginning cuts across the, the gun with yeah. such accuracy that he, he like knocks the, the buckshot. Yes. Yes. Um, but the guy is perfectly fine. But then in Logan, like where the character is decades older, Mm -hmm. um, he doesn't have that control anymore, and he does the same move, but actually cuts the guy's hand off. Oh, that's right. When they're when they're all those guys are jumping him outside the limo, right? Yeah, and so and so it shows that he like it shows it's the same shot, it's the same kind of movement, but without any control. God, what a cool callback. Really cool callback. Like that's <laughs> that's why I'm kind of excited to go through all of these because I do kind of want to watch some of the the tips yeah. and and hey, did you see this? That I just never like I never realized because you don't watch these movies back to back. Yeah, yeah. So I, I took a guess, but what is it about that scene at Liberty Island that you said sh- showed something that you had never noticed before and you went back and watched it? Okay, so again, I, watching the new Rockstars review of it, when um, when Magneto triggers the machine, it does go through the X-Men. It goes all the way out to just the border of Ellis Island. And apparently at this point, we've been told that it affects humans and that it triggers a mutation that ultimately kills them, but it doesn't have any doesn't effect affect- on mutants. Yeah, except when it happens after it's done, Jean Grey kind of like is shaking something off, like something is not right. And then you just don't see it anymore. But then later on in X3, uh, in X-Men Last Stand, um, Cyclops says something along the lines of, you've never been, you've been different ever since Liberty Island. No, he says that in X2. 
He says that next too. Yes. Okay. Yes, he does. I just so knew they, he said it in another. He said it in a later film, suggesting that they had used that as the triggering for the Phoenix. You know, the starting of the Phoenix which saga is, process, which is brilliant because which is brilliant. Except you know, he never follows through, or at least doesn't follow through in any sort of right. productive way whatsoever. <laughs> Right, but if Professor X went in there and installed these barriers in her brain to protect her and everyone, all of reality from her power set, then mm-hmm. it, you know it makes sense that something like that weird contraption that Magneto built would trigger or maybe break down some of those barriers and unlock something in her. And Cyclops says that line to her in X2, I think early on when they're in the museum and her powers are kind of like flickering. Uh, and you know, that builds to the end of X2, which we'll get to in the next episode. And then that builds into X3. Yeah. Now I've got a question for you. Do you want what, what Phoenix saga version of Jean Grey do you want? Do you want where it's Jean Grey just amped up to 11 or do you want it where it's actually an entity posing as Jean Grey? Oh my god. Um Okay, I would have to consider because my inclination is to want it to be Jean Grey and to want her death to mean something. Right? Mm-hmm. As it was intended to in the comics, right? Mm-hmm. But are there later stories involving Jean Grey that we would be missing out on if uh, you know, it's her and she dies on the moon in, as in the comics, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the end of that character. Yes, Madeline Pryor. What are the, okay, besides, I'm thinking of um, Inferno, right? Yes, but but the whole the whole big thing that drives Madeline Pryor, my, Madeline Pryor is a gene clone. And the thing that kind of makes her go off her rocker is Cyclops going back to Jean when she find he finds out that Jean's not actually dead. Okay. So oh man. Like like I mean like man, the complexity <laughs> the complexity of storytelling that comes off of Jean Grey not actually being Phoenix at first. I mean later they say that the two are so intimately connected that it's a totally symbiotic relationship but the first time she dies it's not actually Jean Grey that dies Mm. which I gotta say is pretty funny for a bar bet a bar (laughs) bet that has created such a ridiculous continuity issue Um, because for anybody who doesn't know the whole reason why we have um, uh, this weird Jean Grey dynamic is that Kevin is it Kevin Busick Keith, Keith Music, Kurt, Kevin Music, Kurt Music, Kurt, Kurt Music. I know it was a K. Kurt Music uh, made a bet with somebody who's like, um, like, he said something like he could retcon anything, and they were like, <laughs> "Okay, go for it, you know, retcon the death of Jean Grey," and he does, and it's amazing because it causes <laughs> all sorts of shit for the X Men. Yeah, yeah, you know, I think. Whatever way they go with is honestly, I think fine, but mm-hmm. 
I think that the important thing is the audience feels what they're meant to feel. And that is the loss. That is the shock, you know? Mm -hmm, And so mm -hmm. I think for that to happen, we have to believe that that is Jean Grey, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But also we have to give a shit about Jean Grey. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. So as long as that happens, as long as they build to that, the way the comics for years for years built a love for Jean Grey as a character so that when she dies in the comics, that is unheard of at that point. It's that you would never do that. It had never been done. And, and that's why the Phoenix saga is what it is because Mm -hmm. of, of what happens to a beloved character that you're not expecting. So as long as they can pull that off, sure, give us Madeline Pryor, whatever, like absolute clone the fuck out of everything. Fine. But I, you know, I want us to feel what we're meant to feel. Mm -hmm. Well, and I I want, I like Marvel's so good right now about playing the long game. Yes. I want, I want plenty of time with Jean Grey before she goes Phoenix. And then I want her gone for a really long time. And I want, Cyclops to develop this huge relationship with Madeline Pryor so that you feel the gravity of this situation where the true love of his life that he believes is dead comes back. And what does he do with this woman that he's had a child with? Yeah. That also kind of loves, but is also kind of a rebound and kind of just like a weird dynamic that, I don't know. It's just such a complex character choice that it's like, I feel like that if they can pull something like that off, it's so good. The question is, Joe, how much time do they have and how many movies are they going to be able to devote to, to develop all these things? Because Claremont had fucking years to dangle plot lines. But the reality is, you know, we got our Ultron Avengers story. And for people that were hoping for, you know, oh, that scene or that thing that happens when Ultron and Vision, it's like we got an Ultron and Vision interaction and the movies are always going to be adapting and giving us an iteration and in a lot of ways, a summation of what we've experienced in the comics. So I don't know, I think we'd be setting ourselves up for disappointment if we want a kind of, you know, um, beat for beat sort of retelling. We That's are- true, but... We are going to get a version of the Dark Phoenix saga. We are going to get probably a version of, you know, Wolverine going on a berserker rage or, or, you know, figuring out Weapon X and all that stuff. Uh, You know, Wolverine in Japan. Probably at some point we're going to get these things, but they're going to be a summation. It's going to happen in a movie or over a couple movies at most. Yes. Well, I mean, my first instinct is to know they have all the time in the world and they have as many movies as they want and they can do whatever they want. And that's how it's gonna be. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, is that we've been theory crafting about what we want from the Marvel Universe for damn near a decade now. Almost. Yeah. And um, and the fact of the matter is we just like we, we know what we would love yeah. and then we go in and we get what we get. And it's a combination of exactly what we wanted and what we didn't think we wanted. Yeah. And, you know, it's always seems to be just enough. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't have a problem with going, I want all the things and then getting whatever I get and going, that was awesome. Because yeah. that's, 
I feel like that's the fun of this whole process. Yeah. If you look at what the MCU is now calling the Infinity Saga, right? Mm -hmm. It tells the story of the Infinity Gauntlet. It tells the complete story over 23 movies. Mm -hmm. The story overall is about Captain America and Iron Man, I feel like, Mm -hmm. right? Um. And yes, we get other character stories within that. We get the story of, you know, Wanda and Pietro. We get the story of, you know, um, Spider-Man and all this stuff. But um, that is that is the overall overarching story. So, and that's a lot of movies. That's 23 movies. So I think if yeah. you're going to do, let's just say you're going to do the story of the X-Men, not even, you know, Days of Future Past or, you know, whatever, just the X-Men. Like you're going to, let's say we're going to get 23 X-Men movies the way we got 23 Avengers movies, you know? Um, Let's say that's the case, okay? We're going to get 23 X-Men movies to tell the X-Men saga. What does that look like? What stories are incorporated? At what point, you know, in what phase does the Phoenix saga happen? In what phase does Days of Future Past happen? In what phase does Weapon X happen? You know what I mean? Right. Well, I mean, if you think about it, like, I think, I mean, I didn't even think about it. Like, we've been we've been approaching this, like, when we get the X-Men, we're going to get the X-Men. What if we're not getting the X-Men? What if we're getting a Wolverine movie? And right. what if we're getting a Professor X and Magneto movie? And right. what if we're getting a Storm movie? Oh my God! What if we got a Storm movie? Where I think we actually, will. Yeah, where you can actually, but I mean, not an X Men and then a Storm movie. I mean, a Storm movie and then X Men. You know what I mean? Where right. they they because they built the Avengers by giving all the big players their own movie and then starting to introduce smaller characters in into those movies and into yeah. the bigger Avengers yeah. movies. What if that's how they handle the X-Men? That would be amazing because then you get stories that we don't necessarily hear because nobody goes back to the, you know, six issue run of storm and goes, right. what's good and usable here. Right. So we might get a movie about professor X and Magneto in their younger years. And we might get an X-Men movie where they all kind of come together the way they did in the Avengers. Right. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. leading up to, you know, let's say X-Men two is the end of phase two and and let's say it's giant size X-Men, right? Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. at some point we're going to get Storm life death and we're going to get her, you know, origin or whatever story. Right. Yeah. They right. could do that. That would be amazing. And they're probably going to incorporate Disney plus into this because it's, it's almost a Disney plus as a platform is like exposition central. It's like where they can do these short stories, right? These short television mm-hmm, series mm-hmm. and fill in a lot of stuff that then the, the movies don't have to do all that heavy lifting. Yeah, no, it's really, it's really quite a. I mean, like we've said this multiple times, they've succeeded into turning the comic book medium into a cinematic franchise where you can actually have crossover issues and miniseries and yeah. all these different things that we've had in comic books for ever. Yeah. And actually translating it to. TV and movie. I, I, I just, I'm so excited. Like one of the biggest things I walked away from watching this movie was how excited I am for the possibilities that they're going to do with the X-Men. Like I just keep Same. looking and going, I want a good, I want a good storm. I want, <laughs> I want a good, I want to, I want a different take on Wolverine. I want 
I want to see how they deal with Professor X and Magneto. I want to see if they I want to see if they actually admit that Professor X is problematic. Yeah. You know, like there's a, or yeah, I mean, I think there's so many different things that they can do that, you know, we're just, not only are we in a place different, we're different place culturally than we were when these movies were happening, but I think we're, I think we're in a place where we can get down to the, the, the gritty themes that they were showing in nineties animated series because the the fans are ready for that the movie going because we're yeah because we're accepting we're we're ready to accept that kind of yeah yeah um gosh we could keep going forever about x-men i'm excited to cover probably like wrap it up i'm excited about x2 in the next episode a couple weeks from now um i do think another thing that they absolutely nail is the last scene in the original x-men movie where they're playing chess in magneto's plastic cell and and it's it's an exchange that is repeated <laughs> throughout yes. the different X-Men movies where Magneto says, does it ever wake you in the middle of the night? The feeling that one day they will pass that foolish law or one just like it. I come for you and your children. And professor X says it does indeed. And then Magneto, what do you do when you wake up to that? And then the, the words of professor X, I feel a great swell of pity for the poor soul who comes to that school looking for trouble, which is like directly, foreshadowing what's going to happen in the very next movie. <laughs> right. So cool. Well, not only that, but I mean, it's, it's like a two toned comment because it's like, you know, if these, if these mutant haters come, I feel bad for them because they're not going to get what they expect, but it's also very pointed. at Magneto. Yeah. Like, yeah. Don't, don't fuck with don't, us. Don't fuck with us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good. They, yeah, that they, this movie, you know, for all its, its weaknesses and problems and things they you know, wish they could do over, the thing, what it needed to do, the few things it absolutely needed to nail, it did. Yeah. Thankfully. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, again, we're looking at this, like, we, like you gotta, you gotta have a nostalgic view of this and, and how, how much this contributed to what we get now, because this really was the first time we got movies where you walked away and went, that was a superhero movie that didn't suck. Yeah, absolutely. And God, the first one like it. Yeah. Um, one last thing that, that um, just the conclusion that Lyle left us with, uh, oh, yeah. I know I didn't get to all his stuff, but he did say, I did not enjoy this nearly as much in 2022 as I did in 2000. It's not bad, but it took me two sittings and some serious grit to get through. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> well, that's, that's interesting. I guess, I guess I kind of knew what I was signing up for because I had seen it bef- since, since, 2000 mm-hmm. um and i think i remember lyle telling me that he hadn't but um but yeah it's 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 dated yeah, <laughs> and our ex- our expectations are so much higher rosie's comment was well she's like, i liked it she's like it sounds cool it's definitely old <laughs> <laughs> so the- are we <laughs> the, di- the, the dialogue's cheesy you know, yeah. um, and we laughed about uh, some of the settings because, you know, the X-Men have a mansion and then underneath they have apparently like metal and glass <laughs> walls. For <laughs> <laughs> Everything's like sharp, brutalist, like, you know, stainless steel. Mm-hmm. And then you have Magneto's scenes with the Brotherhood of Mutants are all in a cave, like in a black, dark <laughs> cave with metal and like it's like flood it's partially flooded mm-hmm. <laughs> and i'm just like where where's their 
clothing? Like, do they have closets? Like, is there a bathroom <laughs> somewhere that's accessible and soft? Like, what? have have you? I mean, like we like if you go back to the comics, Magneto's never been good at picking hideouts. Like right. he had a he's had a meteor. He's had a, uh, a temple ruins on an island. Right. He's had like all sorts of just weird. Like he just he, he it's almost like he's trying to make it rough on himself look yeah. at how much i suffer for my for my cause <laughs> but it's like so odd to see now like it's just a nondescript d- dank layer you mm-hmm. know <laughs> kind mm-hmm. of super friends ish uh <laughs> and we've definitely gotten better at that but god what a what a problem to try to find a solution for at, at that time you know yeah yeah <laughs> that's great all right man um well, shout out shout to, out shout out to lyle yeah, thanks, Lyle. We really appreciate the 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 feedback. It's always nice to to hear other people's thoughts, other than just ours. <laughs> yeah, love hearing from our listeners for sure. And uh, I'm going to shout out to Michael and Michelle, my two teacher friends at my school, who helped me pick up my diet soda and my uh, <laughs> and my Starburst and your life and your life and my and my life. Uh, like God, it was an allegory for my life right now. Um, but yeah. Any, anything else? Oh, I really, I don't know if I'm going to be able to wait two weeks to watch X2. Like, I might have to watch it this week and then just save my notes. And do it for, again next week? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm so psyched for that movie. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm excited too. Um, all the music in this episode is by Ben Sound is being used under Creative Commons license. You can find more music by Ben Sound at bensound.com. Geektitude is a proud member of the Geek to Geek network. Check out other Geek to Geek shows such as the Geek to Geek podcast, Tea Time with Katie and Chelsea, Disney Forever, You Can't Stop Me Loving K-Pop, The Nerdberg Review, JRPGs and Me, Dragon Quest FM, Mating Habits of the Modern Geek, Farming Simulated, As the Dice Roll, and sometimes Rob. And once again, I have not looked up Will's. Shut uh, up. I am such a horrible person. <laughs> I, and of course, I can't even pull up for some reason my Discord server. Um, <laughs> but I am not going to not do it this week. People are just going to have to wait. And I'm not going to edit this out because I'm going to own my shit. <laughs> and the fact that I didn't do this properly. Um, and I'm going to put it into the notes right now so that we don't have this problem yes. next week and of course this is the morning the discord decides i'm going to try update or whatever so how are you ray how's life <laughs> oh i definitely have not been on the discord as much as i was at the end of last year uh i need to go back and jump in and you know reacquaint myself with our cool little community we have going there uh yes final semester final mfa semester let's go okay will at plains talker podcast there we go yeah there we go and i am copying and pasting it into my notes now so we don't do this ever 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 again (laughs) why are you not working i'm typing it in (laughs) plains talker podcast i'm a horrible person all right uh also check out our twitch streamers capsule j bama shocks troidal power Geen, and nixie and make sure to join us in slack or discord where you can chat with us in real time you can currently find us at geektitude.com as well as on apple podcasts stitcher google podcasts and most other podcasters out there please leave us a review and spread the word if you'd like to contact me you can send me an email at joe hogan at geektitude.com 
You can also fo- follow the show on Twitter at Geektitude or me personally at Epic Grays. Ray, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me at Ray Vargas three on Twitter and Instagram, sometimes on Facebook where I'm stirring shit up. Uh, <laughs> and if you want to, ch- <laughs> you want to check out my artwork, you can go to rayvargas 3com It's almost done. I was going to ask, are you, are you almost finished with it? Yeah. Yep. It's, it's, I'm really like where it's going now. It's just a matter of inputting all the images and stuff, the last images. And yeah, I'm super excited. So check it out. Excellent. 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 All right. That's it for us this week. Uh, next week, well, we're off next week. We'll be back the following week with X2, which Ray, you know, in case you hadn't noticed, is very excited about. And uh, until then, remember this week, keep it geek. Keep it geek.